When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today on the show, we do not forgive you. Welcome to Winds Howling, a companion podcast to The Witcher TV show on Netflix. We'll be diving deep into each episode of the show and exploring the larger context of the story from the games and novel. I'm Brett. And my name's Abu. And welcome to the end, my friend. (laughs) We did it. We're here. The final episode. It feels like I was watching this show for the first time yesterday, but it also feels like we've been doing this for like six months. <laughs> and it's only been three, but it feels so much longer. But now that we're at the end, yeah, it's just, yeah, I don't know, it kind of flew by, but at the same time dragged. That makes no sense. <laughs> That's exactly how I feel too. But regardless, we're here and we're doing it, wrapping up this season and diving into episode eight. But before we dive in, Of course, as always, everyone knows the drill at this point. Let's knock out some housekeeping and read some emails from listeners. So to start off, a reminder that these episodes are spoiler-free in terms of the TV show. That spoiler notice doesn't really matter for today because now we've wrapped up all of season one, all of season two, we'll be talking about the show in its entirety. But fair warning, as always, we do like to include light speculation from the books and the video games and the larger Witcher canon. So be warned, there may be light spoilers from the larger Witcher universe. And as always, we love to hear from you. So continue to write to us at windshowlingpodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this season and, of course, your speculation for what you think will happen in season three. We'll be sharing some of our own thoughts in today's episode about that as well. Podcast at gmail.com is the place. And speaking of emails from listeners, Brett, we have two today. Email number one is from Thusha Rajendra. I'm sorry if I totally butchered that, Thusha. Thusha shared a number of thoughts on season two and the story of The Witcher as a whole. And here are some interesting points that they made in their email. I hope you don't mind me sharing a few thoughts on the psychology and the timeliness of The Witcher because I've been wondering why the show works so well. Number one, trauma. You may have heard of the concept of post-traumatic growth. We are all going through this at the moment as a result of the pandemic, but many of the characters in The Witcher have been through trauma, as you've mentioned, notably the three leads. How they move from coping to adaptation is, I think, the key to the story. And number two, the nuclear family. The psychotherapist and couples therapist Esther Perel talks about the family and how if the couple fails, then the family fails. The survival of the family depends on the happiness of the couple. I would love to see Geralt and Yennefer fix their relationship and so fix their family with Ciri. And those were just two small points that Thusha made in a much larger email where there were many other points. But those two, I think, were relevant to some of the things we're going to talk about today, Brett. Yeah, it, it's something I've always said where, yes, it's the family and Yen's the mother, Geralt's the father, series, the daughter, but they're never really like that. They don't ever really have that time where they settle down, if you will, like that nuclear family, you know? Yeah. And so from where, where we're at now, they just haven't had that time together, and it's... I don't know how to say that they can heal when they haven't really done anything together. They have not been a family together at this point. Yeah. No, definitely. I I think Gerald and Yen and Siri aren't your traditional like 1950s nuclear family, but we are perhaps starting to see the formation of their familial ties by the end of this episode, which we'll, of course, touch on in our conversation today. I'm also curious what you thought about 
Dusha's point about trauma, because that's something we've touched on time and time again in our own discussions here on the podcast as well. And it's interesting that Dusha picked up on it watching the show. That's a big thing that has always shaped Yen and always been talked about her characterization. And I'm really glad that they showed her beginnings at Eratusa in the first season because it has, again, it shaped her in that sense that there's always been this chip on her shoulder. She's always been kind of edgy and short. And that's just Yen. Series trauma is plain for everybody to see on screen. And I, I agree with it. It's something that I think the books did very well for us to understand it, especially Siri, because we were in her head a little bit more. But it's another thing that they're going to have to nail on season three to really pull this together, I think. Absolutely. Dusha definitely hit it on the head. Family and trauma are two very, very central pillars in the Witcher universe and in this story in particular. So those are things that have been hit on thus far in the first two seasons and will really have to be nailed in the next season for the show to continue to be a success. Let's move on to our second email. This one's from Lindsay Smith, and she shared her thoughts on our interpretation of the only four line that we discussed a few episodes ago. This is what she wrote. I didn't interpret this as a quip or as being flippant about taking lives at all. My take on it is that Geralt was trying to ease Ciri's guilt by showing how he understands how it feels to have killed people under duress and carry that guilt with you. He knows she looks up to him and has a good opinion of him, and he's trying to say, we've all made mistakes, we all carry burdens, yours isn't so bad, you are not bad. I've done much worse. I've taken more lives than I can count, but I'm still here and I'm still trying to do good. I know how you feel. Don't worry. This doesn't define you. So that was Lindsay's interpretation of that only four line that we talked about at length and shared our own opinions on a few episodes ago. And I can totally understand where she's coming from with this take, and I quite like it. It makes me wonder if this is what the showrunners had intended for the audience to get from that line. And maybe we read too much into it. What do you think? It seems like every time Geralt has a stop-down moment with Siri, he looks her in the eye, he puts his hand on her shoulder or something, even says her name, Siri, da-da-da. As soon as he says this line, he immediately just walks away, doesn't give, a, doesn't give a second look, and she she's left standing there not understanding what's going on. Like, that's the way I read it. I, I just, I don't see it any other way than that. Like if what's is he trying to is this a teachable moment? If he's trying to teach her anything, that's not working because he's not actually teaching. He's literally walking away from her. And the way he says it, I don't know. I just no right or wrong. It's just I I don't I don't see that at all. Yeah. And like you said, there's no right or wrong. We felt it was important to share Lindsay's view on this as well, just because we shared our version, but other people may have taken that line differently. So thank you to Thusha and Lindsay for sharing your thoughts. We love to hear everyone's varying perspectives on the show. And as always, it's enlightening to know that art speaks to people in different ways. And The Witcher itself can be interpreted in different ways, depending on how you watch it. So with our mailbag wrapped up, let's dive into this finale, Brett. As always, we will start with a summary of the episode, break it down scene by scene, then we'll discuss some key takeaways and finally wrap up with overall thoughts on this episode. So let's get into it. Season 2, Episode 8, which is titled Family, starts with Siri awakening at the palace in Sintra as Mousesack comes barging in to wake her up for a banquet. We quickly realize that this is a dream vision of sorts, and she has been trapped here by Voloth Mir after being possessed at the end of last episode. The real Siri is walking around Kaer in the middle of the night, and she spots that knife that Vesemir had shown her earlier in the season. She uses said knife to <laughs> murder some witchers in their sleep in horrific fashion. We get to see Mousesack, and I love it. Yeah. And then, then, then she kills all the witchers, and I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't hate it from the sense of they did it in the story. Like I get what they were going for, but now we know why they put so many witchers that care more in, I guess. Right. You needed some bodies to get stabbed. Now, 
Geralt and Yen are rushing towards Kermorin as fast as possible, pushing their horses to the brink. Once they arrive, Yen tries to explain herself to an extremely pissed off Geralt who does not want to hear any of her excuses right now. When she talks about how special she knows Siri is, he says what is maybe my favorite line of the episode. He says, quote, I know how it feels, Yennefer, end quote. And I really liked how both of them are tap dancing around saying the word parenting, but it's so obvious from this conversation that both of them have gotten this renewed sense of purpose and joy in life by taking care of Siri and stepping into these roles as her parents. So I like that the show is starting to lay this groundwork for this family that we've talked so much about. I'm going to keep tapping the sign, but it's just Geralt's, I believe it. We've seen now like an entire season of it. There's a lot of actions in the first season that we've set up for it. But with Yen, what are we working with here? One episode? <laughs> like I'm being serious. Like it's it's one episode, right? That she was with Siri? Yes. How much screen time was, have they shared? I don't want to keep saying, oh, it was rushed. It was rushed. It was rushed. That's like horse has been beaten to death. There just wasn't enough of them together for this to really pay off. Yeah, it's so hard to believe that Yen has this total 180 and now suddenly wants to act as Siri's mother. It, it is tough to believe. And it does feel rushed. As much as we keep beating that horse, it certainly feels rushed. Now, back in the keep, Siri is about to murder Vesemir, knife nearly to his throat, when Geralt and Yen walk in and confront her. And it's very, very immediately clear to Geralt that Volithmir has possessed Ciri. She takes a swipe at him, giving him another scar for his beautiful face, and runs from the room. We then cut to the title card, and after that we join the Witchers mourning for their murdered companions. Vesemir is taking this particularly hard, and he is dead set on finding Ciri, finding Volithmir, and defeating her. Whatever it takes. Geralt tries to talk Vesemir out of it, promising that he will convince Volithmir to leave Ciri's body and that they should not kill Ciri. And Vesemir, I'm so interested to hear your thoughts on this, Brett. Vesemir pulls this, well, you killed Eskel. You did what you had to do with Eskel. So now I'm going to do what I have to do with Ciri. And I hated this so much. This felt so out of character for Vesemir to do. Is it is it out of character for the Vesemir you think you know, or is it out of character for <laughs> Vesemir the show? I honestly think, even putting my bias aside, show Vesemir wouldn't do this either. Because just a few episodes ago, he was telling Siri how much all the witchers care for them. And it's clear to us that he cares for Siri. Yeah, and he did feel really bad when he was going to give her the trials and Geralt gave him that, oh. I'm just disappointed yeah. in you. Like, I'm not angry. I'm just disappointed, which you all know is the worst thing you can get. I just think this is them really harping on their Papa Vesemir, that he's a father to all these witchers. And now he's seen more of them go. He, he already wanted to make more. He already knows they're dying off. Is anger? I don't know. Like, I'm. that's the only thing I could think of doing it. My emotions were just everywhere this entire episode. It, true roller coaster. <laughs> A true roller coaster. No kidding. No kidding. This was a scene that really just I did not like. And I think Vesemir's justifications here didn't make sense. He cared for Eskel and didn't want to kill him. We know he cares for Siri. He should be doing his best not to kill her either. It's so weird that he's just like, no, I'm going to kill this little girl. Let's fucking go. The last thing I'll say on this Vesemir thing is that it's just a confounding decision. And not to get into a whole Eskel thing again, but it just makes me really hate the whole Eskel possession from earlier because now to me it feels like they only made Eskel get possessed so they could then later in the season build this like weird tension between Geralt and Vesemir when Ciri gets possessed. Like your kid was possessed, now my kid is possessed. Uh, let's let's argue about it. Like, it's so weird. I, it just makes no sense to me why every Witcher here shouldn't be doing their damn best to save Siri and get rid of Volithmir. Yeah, I guess just, I guess they, they just, they don't understand. Well, no, because Geralt knows a lot about Volithmir. He knows like everything about her. 
and says I can get rid of her. And that's because, like I said, it makes sense to me. Hey, this this is Siri. I know this is Geralt's child, blah, blah, blah. But she's killed some of us and she's really trying to kill us. And she's definitely not just a normal possessed person. So I understand that where it's like, look, we have to kill her. Or I should say, I'm not going to, if it comes down to it, I will kill her. You know, kind of like the Geralt Nastriga, where he's saying like, oh, I'll try to save her. But if it comes down to it, I'm a killer. And so that can kind of be maybe what it is here. It's just because it's Siri. We look at it differently. It, it, you're right. It's just, it's, it's confounding. I don't, I don't even, I don't even have a strong opinion on it. Like, I don't hate it. I don't like it. But it's it's just kind of, I guess that's just where I am with the show in general right now is something happens on there and I'm like, okay, no, that wasn't that good, but I'm not going to be like, oh my God, you know, it's not going to ruin anything or anything like that. But it's just, it's wild. Nobody could have guessed this from the beginning of the season that this would, <laughs> that no. this would happen. <laughs> not at all. Not at all. All right. Moving on from that. Yennefer. Hold it real quick. Real quick. You can cut this if you want, but I want people to pull the curtain back in here. Abu has on here, whatever, moving on in the notes. <laughs> like he was already knew he was going to be like over it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> whatever. You don't, you don't have a strong opinion on this, but I certainly do. Yeah, I could tell by the notes like, whoa, all caps moving on. <laughs> moving on. <laughs> right. <Okay. laughs> moving on. Yeah. Yennefer goes to wake up Yaskir and enlists his help in creating potions to help Siri. Okay, now this is me going to be upset. <laughs> All right, talk to me. I like you have in here Yaskier's cracking jokes. I I liked him. I liked him more this season than I did the first season. I thought they actually pulled back a little bit on it. But him from here on out in this episode, every time he was on screen, to me I was, "Why are you on screen? What are you doing?" And I said it time and time before, the Marvel movies have been amazing. People love them. I just think, by and large, they've had a negative impact on people trying to replicate them in some fashion. And one of them, we definitely saw in Nightmare of the Wolf, was just comedy. And comedy, like, all the time. And you can't let things really breathe. And you, you can't have, like, serious moments. We got to crack a joke. We can't be too serious here. And this whole thing, we'll get to it kind of, we'll, I guess we'll come up, we'll get to it when it comes up a little bit in there. But basically, there's a lot of real serious shit going on here. Yeah. And, yeah, and Yaskier's just cracking jokes, and she gives him this Jasper, says, take to Geralt, this is super important, which, what was she, she couldn't have done? Anyway, she entrusts Yaskier, yeah. this dumbass bard, <laughs> with this important Jasper, and I, we'll, we'll get to the scene, we'll get to it. Yeah, I agree, and that's exactly what I wrote in the notes as well. I generally love Yaskier as a character and how the show has handled him. Joey Beatty is doing a great job with it. This episode in particular, though, my God, they need to reel in the jokes. It's just too much. It's felt out of place in such a serious episode with so much intense emotional stuff happening. It was unnecessary. I mean, Yaskier at Karamoran alone feels out of place. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Very weird. Very weird. Moving on to the next scene. In Sintra, Dara reveals to Francesca and Philavandro that he has been spying for Dijkstra. Francesca in this scene is understandably shaken by the death of her baby. She says, quote, They hate us. They've always hated us. They need no other reason than the shape of our ears, end quote. And I thought this was a short scene, but quite an effective one. It's very easy to empathize with Francesca's anger and pain, and the parallels to real-life racism and bigotry are pretty clear. Hate doesn't need logic. It doesn't need a reason beyond the shape of someone's ears or the color of their skin. And we see the elves on the receiving end of that hate time and time again this season. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head there. It's, it's kind of a culmination of all of the the bigotry, the discrimination, the straight up murder and killings, yeah, is now just it's a bridge too far. You know, straw that broke the camel's back here. Obviously, this newborn elf baby being murdered in its crib. One thing that stood out to me also was Dara just saying, "Yeah, I've been spying for Redania. <laughs> you know, I've been in here in your chambers doing all that." Wouldn't that be like an instant? Oh, this dude's fucking dead. 
<laughs> like you're spying for the people now that they think probably killed the baby and you're the one spying. So they know, I don't know. That was just really weird that he told him that like that. That's not the time. That's not the time, dude. <laughs> he did try to empathize with Francesca and apologize in a way. Yeah. But like, this is let the body get cold, you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah. As far as we can tell, this is the direct aftermath, right? Seems like it. I mean, the crib is right there and it seems like they're hunched over the crib. Moving on from that, we return to the dream vision where Siri is enjoying this banquet and is overwhelmed at emotion at seeing Calanthe alive and well. The only worthwhile thing I want to call out in this scene, at least for me, is that I want to give a shout out to our guy, Martin, who shoots his shot with the princess and asks her for a dance, which she does agree to. Good job, Martin. Hey, second time's <laughs> a charm. <laughs> That's true. In the next scene, Frangilla and Kai here discuss the death of Francesca's baby, and we learn that the elves have departed to the north to Redania to get their vengeance. Kai here reveals himself in this moment to be quite the astute politician, as he explains to Frangilla that she should totally take credit for killing the baby. Emir will be very impressed by that. After that, we return to Kaer Morin, where the witchers are preparing to battle Volith Mir, and they find her in the main hall in front of the medallion tree. Geralt walks up, offers himself in place of Ciri, but Volith Mir declines. She says that Ciri is the future. She then turns around and screams, cracking open the tree revealing a monolith that was either already there or creating a monolith. It was a little unclear to me. But she then shatters it and uses the shrapnel to shoot towards the witchers. And it's a pretty cool sequence, I think. There's a bit of slow-mo action. We see the witchers use Gwen. And then all the shrapnel shoots back the other way and actually catches some of the witchers in the back. It was a pretty cool sequence, I thought. This scene... Is as far as the spectacle goes, as far as it shot, the CGI and everything, I thought it was fucking amazing. Yeah. What happens, maybe not, but like as far <laughs> as shooting, it's it's incredible. I agree. And this is this is Yaskier. Just yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Yaskier anyway. He comes in You, you had your moment. You had your moment. I Throw just, the it's, Jasper. It's just so annoying. Like I hate it hate <laughs> in all movies or shows where it's either like a blatant miscommunication where someone can say something and the person's like no 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 oh no but so so no 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 it's like just stop them and tell them you can just shout it out and stop this miscommunication like with here Yaskier is told by Yen get this to Geralt it's in godly important you have to get this to Geralt he walks in and it's one thing if he walked in and everybody was fighting everyone was just standing there and they looked at him and he's like, oh, looks like you're busy. I was like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> you ask her to take four steps and hand Geralt the Jasper. We don't have to go through the rest of this nonsense. But we do. At that moment, Ciri slash Volith Mir summon a pair of mutated basilisk through a portal and the battle begins. Geralt attempts to get through to Ciri to get her to fight Volith Mir's control and overcome this possession. While Geralt is doing that, the other witchers engage these basilisks, and many of the unnamed ones, who we don't know, <laughs> get absolutely wrecked. I mean, they have names, but are they worth even mentioning? <laughs> right. They're just here to be bodies yeah. for the basilisks to tear apart. And watching his children, basically, get torn apart by these basilisks triggers Vesemir, and he interrupts Geralt and Ciri's little staring contest and starts taking swings at her, which Geralt has to block because, he, again, he's trying to get through to Ciri. He doesn't want her to die. And he's kind of fighting two battles here. It's kind of cool. It was cool. Now, in the dream vision at the banquet, Ciri is starting to ask questions about her bloodline. Obviously a big theme of this story. We've talked a lot about that on this podcast. And she begins to suspect that not all is well when she hears Geralt's voice and Mousesack turns into a monster for a second. But it's at that very moment, her mother and father walk in alive and well. And she's once again overwhelmed with emotion. Yeah, and I, my, my emotions 
it's, again, I don't even know what to say. Because as this is going on, you know, this fight and it's serious. And again, at this point, I don't know what the show's going to do. Like, I legitimately don't. Outside of literally Geralt or Siri not dying, like dying, dying, I have no idea what's going to happen. So kudos to them for at least giving me some suspense. <laughs> and then they go back to this and it's like, oh, my God, it's Pavetta and Dooney again. And I love that they really have hit on her trances or her visions, you know, going back to her family because it's so much about that. And, yeah, just seeing them two again. I mean, this is, you know, the big reason why they're showing Dunny again, the father again, because they, they want that face to be fresh. Definitely. But, yeah, just it's a just internal struggle of Siri is good. This, the more about Siri's internal thoughts, her trauma and her struggle, I think the better. I couldn't agree more. Okay, let's talk about this next scene for a bit, Brett, because I got some thoughts. We head to Redania with the elves, and all of the babies in their homes are crying, and nobody knows why except for the weird glowing symbol on their chests. It turns out that Francesca is using magic to curse a bunch of babies in their homes and kills them in one fell swoop. She is here to get her vengeance. I do not know what to think about this scene, if I'm truthful. On one hand, I totally understand where Francesca is coming from, her hatred of humans, her desire to get vengeance on the people that have wronged her, and the pain that she must be going through at the loss of her child. On the flip side, this reeks to me of the same logic that Vesemir used earlier, this, you killed my child, so now I'm justified in killing yours. That logic just doesn't make sense to me. Because these are random babies, people she's never met, people that have nothing to do with her or her baby, and she's just sort of killing them at random? Uh, It's tough. For me, it turns Francesca from a tragic figure just a few short minutes ago into an extremely unlikable one, where now I'm suddenly like, whoa, this lady's taking things too far. What did you think about it? Remember when... They captured Frangilla and Yen, and she very nonchalantly was like, they're human, right? Yeah. Why are they alive? Remember how easily she was just going to just kill them just without a thought, without even a look their way? Mm, Yeah. But she, not only is she not maybe the nicest of people, she despises Dwan or humans. Her actions are to help the elves. And as we've seen here, Time and time and time again. <laughs> uh, I have 471 cases of on-screen elvish persecution. <laughs> the murder of the newborn was the final straw. And at this point, there is no hope for them or her people or her el- You know, I can think of another word for that. Her brethren, if you will. She made this deal with the devil, her deal with Volith Mare, and it worked. They got the baby. And now it hasn't. It's been backfired. This is worse than never having a child at all. I would think, at least in her mind, that's what it's seen as. And this is it. It's time to go Scoia'tael. That was my thought as well. Like, we're almost watching the start of the Scoia'tael here, perhaps? I think it is. I think it absolutely is. Of course, I thought it was hoping to have it by now. And that's kind of what I had in there when when Istrid arrives. You know, the line I have is, you kick a dog long enough, it turns into a wolf. Or in this case, a squirrel. Yeah. I like that read on it, Brett, and I think you've perhaps swayed my opinion somewhat because my initial reaction to this scene was just utter disgust and a little bit of confusion on why Francesca would lash out like this in such a random and uncalculated way. But now that you've pointed out her very words at the start of the season and her hatred of humans combined with everything we've seen this season— and this being potentially the Scoia'tael, it all starts to make a bit more sense for me. That's a good read on it. Okay, but I also think we're supposed to like her, and same with Frangilla. And for the longest time, those two were partners, and we really didn't like General Hake. Yeah. <laughs> and then when, Ky- when Kyer comes, yeah, and so those two were seen as good, and we've had, you know, ever since that second episode when that happened, it's largely been, oh, nice Francesca. Oh, nice Frangilla. She just wants a thing for her home and all that and all the elves and I'm just going to go away. And I do think maybe, you know, you can make the argument for that almost being, I don't know, maybe a failure in her characterization. I don't want to be harsh, but 
that she would do that. If people like for you are just like, oh my God. And at first I was shocked too. I saw it and I was like, holy shit, I can't believe they just did that. So I do think it was something that was a bit jarring. It's in her characterization. I just think it might've been a bit jarring how maybe quick it just happened. Yeah, that's a good point as well. I certainly felt myself liking Francesca this entire season. So th this scene kind of felt like a, a personal betrayal to me where I was like, wait, no, I liked you and now I don't. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty, uh, pretty hardcore. Did they actually, did they actually say that that was Redania or show that it was Redania? Frangilla says it to Kai here in the previous scene where she's like, the elves have gone to Redania. Oh, okay. Or have gone to the north towards Redania. Okay. So. Cause they'd have to go through Tamaria to get to Redania. Yeah, there are some geographic questions yeah, I have too, Centra, I didn't want to get too nitpicky. Yeah, but that's what, well, to me though, it is a big difference. If they just go through Redania, if they just go to Redania and attack Redania, then they're just blaming them. If they're just like, fuck all humans, we're going to burn, you know, we're going to kill humans all the way anywhere. I do think that is different because at this point we are supposed to believe that this was a Redanian attack, that a Redanian spy did all this. So I do think it does make a difference if they went through Tamaria peacefully, if you will, which I don't know how a band of elves like that could easily just get through Tamaria, but, you know. Right. No way. Yeah, we don't, we don't need to worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> We're using the Game of Thrones method of travel. Yeah. Well, at least they have portals here. <laughs> like, you know. They do. Fragile, or was, yeah, Rince. <laughs> Rince gets, right. Our boy Rince. He gets around. He's got that fast travel cheat code. All right, moving on from that scene, let's head back to Kermorin, where things are still going like shit. These basilisks are tough. And Volathmir summons an even bigger monster. While Geralt fights this new monster, Vesemir runs up to Ciri and stabs her, but Ciri instantly heals herself. Joke's on you, Vez. Stabbing Volathmir is not how you kill her. <laughs> After Geralt dispatches the new monster, he declares that it's the hate that the witchers are all feeling at this moment and that they feel so strongly that feeds Volathmir. It's what's making her stronger and that they should instead be nice to her, be nice to Siri. which I just want to point out, you and I, Brett, have been saying all season. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know. The Volathmir is just a wild card into everything that just kind of shakes how I should think. And now I'm just stream of consciousness. I don't even know what the hell I'm talking about because I'm trying to make sense of it, hoping if yeah. I talk long enough, something <laughs> something will make sense, but it's not working, so I'm going to stop. Yeah, that's fair. I don't know is my reaction to this scene as well. Now, in the dream vision, Siri embraces her parents and hears the voice of these witchers as they speak to her. Vesemir apologizes to her. Lambert, Cohen, everyone is being supportive. But as much as this makes her question the vision that she's trapped in, it's not enough to help her entirely escape. So Yen walks up and she's got the potion in her hand and decides to uh, not use it and shatter it. I have so many questions about why the fuck she did that. And instead, she offers herself up as vessel for Volathmir. She says some sort of incantation in the elder speech and starts pulling Volithmir from Siri into her own body. In the vision, Calanthe and Mousesack don't feel so good, Mr. Stark, as they turn to dust right in front of Siri's eyes, along with Siri's mother. And I want to point out, because we all know what happens at the end of this episode, really cool to see that her father doesn't turn to dust in the vision. Only the people that are dead do. Kind of some very subtle foreshadowing here. Siri then wakes up, no longer possessed by Volathmir, and Geralt immediately asks her to get to work <laughs> and send Volathmir through the monolith with her powers. I believe in you, Siri, he says, and asks her to push the monster back through to her own realm. Geralt, Siri, and Yen are thus pulled through the portal to this reddish hellscape where Volithmir flies off. In the distance, we see the spectral riders that have been hinted at all, the, all throughout this season. She joins them, transforming into one of the spectral riders herself. This is one of those 
a moment that happens that makes me forget everything I disliked. <laughs> and seeing the wild hunt and you see the king of the wild hunt <laughs> charging in, the leader, and the child of elder blood, starry-eyed daughter of chaos. I love this scene so much. This is now my host and raid notification when I stream. No way. <laughs> so any anybody that hosts or raids me, the Siri Nova Gwent card comes up and then this audio starts playing from join our hunt. You are ours. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, every time I hear that, every time I hear the starry eyed daughter of chaos, I get like goosebumps and choked up. Cause again, that that's the stuff that I choose to hit on the stuff that I love, the stuff when this hits on the show, it hits and it hits me like almost nothing else. Because you get to see the stuff you've read about and you've thought about. And even something like The Wild Hunt was such obviously a major part of The Witcher 3. It's literally called The Witcher 3 Wild Hunt. Yep. But to see it in this, it's just, this is what I want. And I just absolutely love it. And like I said, just even talking about it now, I don't care about the other stuff. I don't care to get mad about the other stuff like that. I choose to enjoy something like this so much and just hope they do more of it. Yeah, I agree. I'm not as much of a wild hunt simp as you are, <laughs> but I also loved seeing them on screen this season. And this was a very cool way to introduce them as a major part of this story as well. The, the main thing that I love about them, it's, this will not be spoilery, is they're very clearly a different threat than any. Everybody wants to get Siri. And we'll talk about that in one of the takeaways. Everybody's trying to get Siri. But everybody really trying to get Siri is in some form mortal. Geralt is not afraid of any of them. He will take on all of them, blah, blah, blah. He sees them coming and he doesn't pull out his sword. He doesn't say get back. He's like, uh, Siri, we got to go. So this is a borderline and we'll learn more about it, but an existential threat to everything, but especially to Siri. And it's just that that I hit on that just makes it a little bit more interesting than the seventh king that wants to get Siri. <laughs> That's a great point. You're totally spot on with that. And actually, speaking of the folks who want to go after Siri, we end this episode on some quick cuts and quick flashes of a number of players on the continent who are discussing Siri. We start off with Taiseo holding a council with the leaders of the Northern Kingdoms. Everyone is present and accounted for, except for Vizimir of Redania, and they all decide that the best course of action to counter Dijkstra's plot is to put a bouncy on Ciri's head and anyone who protects her to ensure that she does not fall into Redania's hands. After that council scene, we get a quick shot of Reince and a horribly burned Lydia who are reporting in to someone who we can't see but who is presumably their benefactor, their boss. In the next scene, we are back with Francesca and the elves who have captured Istrid, and Istrid tells them about Ciri. He reveals that she is Henekir, that she is Elder Blood, and this perks up Francesca's ears because she interprets this as the child of the Elder Blood that Ithlian's prophecy talks about, the child that will save the world. The thing that was weird to me, it's not weird, but they spelled Hen Iker in the subtitles different than it's spelled everywhere else. And I, oh, I, I hadn't noticed yeah, that. Yeah, and I've written 17 notes to Netflix, and all <laughs> I've gotten back are cease and desist letters. <laughs> so maybe the 18th will work. Yeah. Okay, also, what what the hell is Istrid doing, like, skulking outside the camp? Where is he? Where are they? I have no idea where well, they, they can't are. be in yeah, geographically. Well, that's the thing, like the Redania part. He, they can't be in Redania. If Istri, why would Istri be in Redania? Right. Are they coming back to Sintra and that's where they run <laughs> They're into coming Istra? back. That, would be, <laughs> <laughs> that might be the most ridiculous thing of anything that has happened. <laughs> yeah. They're going to hit and run on, hit and run Redania <laughs> at the border and come back. That's what, that's stuff like that. It's not, I think, honestly, I think they're just in like Temeria. Or they might just be outside Sintra and just killing everybody. I don't care. I don't know. Cause that's the last time we saw Istrid was at the, uh, the, the big chasm, right? He didn't go anywhere else. He didn't leave anywhere else. 
Geralt just teleported from there? We saw him at the chasm. And then I guess we saw him at Cotteringer and Fenn's office, right? Because he was getting info from them. Oh, yeah, you're right. Okay. And that is... Oh, that is... Oh, I can't remember the town. I just looked this up. I believe that is somewhere in Samaria. Dorian? I think it's in Dorian. Okay. So maybe we are somewhere in Samaria and that's where they meet up. Okay. A couple more quick scenes. Next up, we join Dijkstra, who is speaking with the owl, who... In front of our very eyes, transforms into Philippa Eilhart. Dun, dun, dun. Someone you've been looking forward to seeing on screen for a very long time. It is. And I forgot to mention, I think I have it later in the notes, when in the Francesca Istrid scene, the previous scene, you can actually hear an owl hooting. Ooh. Yeah. You, she's everywhere, You folks. can hear the hoot, hoot. I was like, oh. I swear, <laughs> as soon as I picked it up, I'm like, holy shit. Like, if that's not a coincidence and they actually made that... It seemed like it was Philippa was there. I'm like, that's pretty, that's pretty nice. I don't know how she'd know to be there, but I can just imagine Philippa is everywhere. Yeah. She's Teekster's eyes and ears. In the next scene, we return to Kaer Morin, where Geralt tells Yennefer that he does not forgive her for what he's done. He does, however, ask her to train Siri. In our final scene of this episode, oh boy, the white flame has arrived in Sintra. Frangilla and Kai here, as planned, take credit for killing the elf baby, but Amir calls their bluff. Turns out he's the one that ordered that hit. And thus he turns around and we get the biggest bombshell of the season and perhaps this whole series. Amir is Dooney, series dad. Roll credits, baby. All right, with the summary out of the way, let's take a short break. But don't go anywhere. We'll be right back to talk about our takeaways and final thoughts. Welcome back, everyone. Let's talk about our takeaways from today's episode. First up for takeaway number one, we want to touch on this massive list of people who are after Siri and why they want to capture her. This episode ends on this big montage, cutting from scene to scene to scene of all the people who are now interested in capturing Siri. And this might be a bit confusing or overwhelming, especially for show-only watchers. So we wanted to take it faction by faction and break down who wants her and why they want her. So first up, we got Daddy himself, Amir Var Emrys, Emperor of Nilfgaard. A huge reveal at the end of this episode that comes way earlier in the show than it does in the books. This is something that we don't learn about in the books until many, many, many books into the series. Yeah, I think it was the third to last chapter in the final book, Lady of the Lake, yeah. before this comes about. Obviously, you can keep that a secret in the books when you're writing, and you can have Emir interact with people that would not know who he was before. So I'm glad they did this. Like, get this out of the way. It's probably already been spoiled for a lot of people. It's a good reveal. It's a whole oh, shit to end your season on. I thought that was just brilliant, perfect decision. It's, it is a massive shock. It's a massive twist, but it's nothing. There's, good, there's a bigger one. And like, this is one to definitely just get out. So I'm glad to see that they, that they got it out of the way and it was well done. And I'd love to hear if anybody who didn't know that was just like, holy shit. And it actually blew their minds. Yeah, please send us your thoughts on what you thought of the big reveal. I agree, though. On a TV show, it would have been really awkward to try and have this character on screen, but never show their face. Yeah. So it totally makes sense to use this reveal here early on in season two as a big, oh shit, bombshell moment. And I'm going to say this about a lot of the, the people we're going to talk about here. Wait till the spoiler cast, because so much of it, you have to really spoil to talk about motivations and a lot of them yeah. get tied together. So I'm going to be as coy as possible. And if you really, if you really want to hear a lot of the in-depth stuff, it's definitely going to be the spoiler cast. Definitely. Definitely. So as far as Emir's motivations are concerned in the show, all we know right now is that he wants to find his daughter. We don't know why we don't know his purpose. We don't know how long he's been looking. All of that is of course still a mystery. Next up on our list of people chasing after Siri, this one we know 
very well from the season is King Vizimir and Dijkstra of Redania. The show's made it pretty clear what their motivations are. They want Ciri for political reasons. She is the rightful heir to Sintra. And so if Vizimir marries her, he can then lay claim to Sintra, which makes Redania the most powerful kingdom in the north. It's like the political motivations in Dijkstra and Vizimir are like, oh, they want it for them. And it's, 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 it's kind of missing for me also. It's just kind of boring. That they just want it for political reasons, and you know, Philippa arriving. I think if Philippa was in the season more with Dijkstra, it would have been a lot more interesting, especially just their history and what we can see with it. So yeah, just I I love the two guys, but just the storyline is just probably the weakest of all of them. Like the motivations is they want it, and then like we talked about the geography thing. If Redania actually controlled Sintra. Sintra is a port, absolutely, but it's completely surrounded by Tamaria, I believe. And yeah. it's Tamaria and <laughs> yeah. then Nilfgaard. Well, now, now Nilfgaard has it. So it would be surrounded by Tamaria and Nilfgaard, their two biggest, their two biggest enemies. And I, it, it's kind of hard to do that, but I don't know. That's me being just, again, a dork about medieval geography. Yeah. Okay, group number three, that's after Siri, is Tysaia and the Brotherhood. The mages obviously recognize how powerful Ciri's elder blood is, and Yennefer herself has seen Ciri's chaos on display, how immensely powerful she is at such a young age. Of course, the mages want to control Ciri and her power so that they will continue to maintain this influence they have over human affairs, basically, over politics in the continent and thus controlling Siri and her immense power as part of that plan. Queen Tissaia. I'm going to call her that. She's Queen Tissaia. Yeah. Until until Philippa kind of does her own thing. It's Queen Tissaia for now. She's so torn on what to think about the betrayal of Yen, where the last time they really saw each other, and here where they put the bounty on Siri and anyone who harbors her or protects her. And you can see in her look doesn't really believe it. She wants to. She's hardened to be like, yeah, I'll, I'll show you and I'll show them. But she doesn't really believe it. And I just, I, I don't know. I can't get enough of her. Yeah. More to say in the show, please. The other group that's after Siri is uh, every uh, ruler in the North, basically, who all want Siri for the same reasons that Redania does. She is the rightful heir to Sintra and... Controlling Sintra would make their kingdom stronger. Of course, as we saw in the council scene with Tysaia in this episode, they also would much rather Ciri die than fall in the hands of one of their rivals, thus the bounty on her head. But of course, they're all also going to secretly be scheming behind each other's backs to capture Ciri for themselves. Classic politics. The next group that we've seen all throughout the season chasing Ciri is, of course, Reince, Lydia, and their mysterious benefactor, who we still don't know the identity of. The show has yet to reveal who their boss is, and we know nothing about why this mysterious benefactor has hired Reince and Lydia to so aggressively hunt down Siri. Obviously, Brett, you and I could make some educated guesses on who this may be in the show, who but could it we be? won't say anything today. <laughs> <laughs> we won't say anything today. Uh, because this will likely be revealed in future seasons. And finally, let's wrap up with the elves. Of course, now that they know she is elder blood, they are also interested in capturing Siri for their own designs. Francesca's motivation here to find Siri is because of Ithlian's prophecy, because of her own interpretation of Ithlian's prophecy, which we know Francesca strongly believes in from the start of this very season. She was claiming to have visions with Ithlian. This is something very near and dear to her and many of the elves. It's another big change as Francesca did not give two shits about Siri. She literally only cared about a home for the elves. Land. And this is, yeah, this is another change. Siri, as we've gone over here, Siri is in and of herself a MacGuffin for everybody in the show to guide all their <laughs> actions. Right. Definitely. It, it is a change from the books. In the books, Francesca is 100% solely focused on creating a home for the elves. 
which is still part of our motivation in the show as well. But the show is seemingly setting up Siri as part of that plan. And so that's takeaway one. That's the not so short list of forces that are after Siri and the people that Geralt and Yen will now have to protect her from. So let's move on now, Brett, to takeaway number two. And let's talk about relationships, something we have harped on all throughout this podcast and all throughout this season. By the end of this episode and the end of this season, Geralt, Yen, and Siri are finally together. They may not be together in the way we imagined, and their relationships are certainly not set up in the same way they were in the books. So let's talk about it in as spoiler-free a way as possible and share some of our thoughts. At the end, of course, Yen makes this dramatic sacrifice, offering herself up as a vessel in order to save Ciri. That's clearly not enough for Geralt to forgive her. He very explicitly tells her, I do not forgive you. We don't know how Ciri feels about Yen's sacrifice, but I'm curious, Brett, how do you feel about it? Do you think Yen has redeemed herself? And do you think the three of them can now move on from the rocky start to their relationship as a family? I'm glad you worded it that way because that was one thing I wanted to talk about was I don't think we should even call them a they're not a family. Like we should not call them a family. They spent almost zero time together. Yen and Siri have basically no relationship. They had that one moment on the river where Siri's eyes started bleeding and she did whatever the hell she did to get them across. They're not a family. And as far as Yen goes, they've super expanded her role. It's been great. Anya Shalatra is amazing. She plotted her own course. But in doing that, I think her relationship or lack thereof with Siri has suffered. And I don't know if they're going to do a time lapse. Like this season started almost directly after the first season. And I don't know if they're going to do this. But maybe season three needs to start six months after the fact. A year after the fact. They're not going to do that. But maybe they are with all the things that they showed here. A year after the fact. And we get to see they've been living together. They are a family. Yen and Geralt have kind of made up. And they're at least on decent terms. But that's not even the thing. Because Yen and Geralt are never really just perfect, lovey-dovey, everything's great relationship. But the one thing that kept them together was they both loved Siri, And they both put Siri first. And that's just something they're going to have to do. And they're going to have to do it quickly in season three for me to really buy into them being a, quote, family. I completely agree. The character arcs and particularly the relationships between these three central characters have felt so rushed this season. And my feeling on that is probably because there's so many other characters. Like we have to cut back and forth between so many locations and characters that we don't spend enough time with the central three. And we talked about it last episode, how Siri and Yen's mother-daughter relationship just rollercoastered over the course of a single episode. They were together, and then they changed their minds, and then there was a betrayal, and now Yen really loves Siri, and Siri feels betrayed, and it's just going so fast. And we're not spending enough time for those relationships to really build and for us to see that happening on screen. So I agree with you. They have a l- tough task ahead of them at the start of season three to really sell us on the bond between Geralt, Yen, and Ciri. Because I think where we leave off here at the end of season two, it's very fractured. And like you're saying, it can hardly even be called a family. And there will be a lot of work that has to be done by the show to convince us otherwise. I also wanted to pick your brain very quickly about the fact that Geralt tells Yen that he doesn't forgive her, and then like the very next line asks her to train him. Brett, is this bad parenting? Would you ask your child's abductor to train them in magic? Well, seeing as how I have no children, I'm rather an expert <laughs> on, mar- on parenthood and marriage. Uh, no, to me, this just goes back to, and again, I'm pulling out a book thing, but it goes back to dear friend Geralt that knows what must be done and knows that he's inadequate to do it. It's why they got Triss to help train her at Karamoran, and it's why Triss ended up getting Yen. He knows that Yen is capable of doing it. She might be the only person capable of it. Now, 
one thing about that is while they may have been at odds, Geralt always trusted Yen. <laughs> now maybe he should, she's kind of give pause not to. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm with you. Like I can see exactly where you're coming from. Yeah. It was just such a, I did like a double take at that scene. I was just like, wait, what? <laughs> wait a wait a minute. You just said, hold up. <laughs> <laughs> right. So let's talk about Yen for a second here because now we've completed her arc over the course of this season. She gets her magic back by the end of this episode. What did you think of this whole Yen loses her magic and tries to find it back storyline in season two? I was stunned it lasted the entire season. Like literally all except the very end. I, I, just, I was surprised at it when it first happened. And I was like, oh, okay, this is going to be her... Like season two thing, she's starting off. She's got to get there. I thought it was going to last maybe half the season, maybe honestly even two to three episodes. And I do think it was a very interesting idea that started off well, but in a way started to hold her back in the sense of we could have had it half the season and it still proved her capabilities that she doesn't need it. And instead it just kind of kept going. But again, that also ties into Volithmir. You can't do that and still have the Volithmir storyline. Right. So again, it makes sense in that terms why they did it a season. I just, I didn't like it the whole season. And this is a hot button issue. There are some yeah. hot opinions uh, from people about this. And I want to hear those because I'm not that hot about it. But some people I know are just red hot about it. So yeah, let us let us know about that. For sure. Write, write to us about that as well. I'm actually with you. I don't feel super strongly either way about it. I actually mentioned on this podcast in one of our discussions early in the season that I thought it was an interesting setup, right? It's a cool sort of existential crisis for Yen to try and figure out who she is, how she defines herself without her magic. That's central to her character. And the show did explore some of those themes. And we got that very emotional Taisei Yennefer scene that I loved so much. But then, yeah, I agree with you. It seemed to then just kind of drag on and it lasted the whole season. And I think by the time we reached today's episode, by the time we reached the finale, they did, weren't able to stick the landing with that existential question about Yen's character. And I think they kind of botched it here at the end because I'm left wondering how she got her magic back, why she got her magic back, and whether she even learned anything from it like she got she just got the magic back and there were like no consequences she didn't really have to sacrifice anything and in the moment where everyone needed the magic she got it back it just felt like this really cool idea just flatlined at the end and they couldn't think of a way to properly land it but like you i'm not super like up in arms about it and i'm very curious to hear what others think about yen's arc as well Okay, let's wrap up. Takeaway two. One more thing I wanted to touch on. Geralt, Yen, and Siri, who are obviously the core of this story, the heart of this story, they've got a lot of trauma and trust issues to work through. How do you think the show might handle that? Or how do you think the show should handle that? What, what do you think we absolutely need to see early on in season three? for us to start building this family relationship between them. We just literally need to see them on screen and interacting and having meaningful relationships and meaningful interactions. I should say, have them have meaningful interactions so that their relationship matters. And I just think it's probably going to be eight episodes again, but I didn't even think about this. These are only eight episodes a season, but it's not like everyone is an hour long. Or over an hour. And I told you, I sent you in a message. This finale was something around 48 minutes of actual screen time. Because they had the Blood Origin trailer and all the credits. 48 minutes for your finale. I always look at finales because it always seemed like finales were always longer. Shows were always... It, times if it was an hour long show, they could be almost like an hour and a half. Like an hour and 20 minutes. And I looked at this expecting to see an hour 10. An hour 12. And it was just so short and I could not believe when I looked at the end and saw there's like 48 minutes. So this kind of causes me to think, 
maybe it is their decision. It's not Netflix executives. Maybe they're saying we can do it in eight in the way they can have more of a budget for these eight episodes as opposed to spreading it out to 10. So I, I don't think in any way that they're all of a sudden going to go to 10 episodes. This is probably just an eight episode series. It's the binging thing, man. It's Netflix. You binge, binge, binge. And this is something you could easily binge in a day. If it's eight episodes and they're all maybe at most an hour under an hour, it's like half a day. So I think that's just that's just their MO for it. And I love the ambition, but I it just not enough time and too much going on to do it. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And that that's my concern for this family relationship we gotta see next season. I think at the start of season three, we gotta spend like two, maybe three episodes building up this Geralt Yen Siri relationship. We need to see some conflicts. We need to get some emotional scenes. We need to see their bonds deepen. And with eight episodes, like, I don't know that they're going to budget three of those eight to just spend on this family. There's so much other shit we got to get through. And I agree. So it just doesn't seem like there's enough time. Okay, Brett. Let's wrap up. What are your final thoughts? on episode eight, now that we have discussed it. The highs of the show are as high as anything I've liked. Mm-hmm. I said that before. The wild hunt scene will stay with me for a long time. I, It's weird. I don't even know where to put this. It's hard to put first episodes when this one was so different than novella and the grain of truth. You, like, you can't really like relate that to any of these other ones. It was borderline standalone. And same with this, because every episode from two to seven was leading up to this. And this is the payoff. So it's hard to really compare this with another episode from this season. It was so, even now, like, I, I guess it's just, it's, it's fine. It was okay. There's a lot of weird shit that happens, but can we really say that anymore with this show? <laughs> like, weird <laughs> shit has happened now for two seasons. Like, if it's still surprising you... um. I don't know, start a podcast and watch it 18 fucking times like we do. <laughs> and then maybe it won't be. But no, I, it, it was it's crazy. Some stuff hit, some stuff didn't. But at this point, the stuff that doesn't hit, I just it just doesn't affect me anymore. And as I, I'm still on this and I'll still die on this hill. The make or break for this show will be next season. And if this stuff leads up to it, we'll have to retroactively come back and see. But if, if this leads the groundwork for w- what should happen in season three, that's really going to kick off the story, which is kind of weird to say that people that don't know, I'm not trying to be overly annoying and like coy or anything, but it's really that book. It was time of contempt. It's going to be this next season that just kickstarts the main true drive of the story. Yeah, that's a good point. Our opinions on season two could change depending on how season three is handled but as far as that goes and again i know we'll really do that in the spoiler cast as far as it goes this season i cannot say it enough was head and shoulders and torso better than the first season on just about every account yeah i feel a little differently i really disliked this episode for the most part and i would even go so far as to rank it alongside episodes two and three which, as is now well-documented on this podcast, I greatly disliked. This felt like a very weak landing to an otherwise pretty good season overall. It had its ups and downs, like you said. The highs were high, the lows were low. But I enjoyed the season overall, and I just felt really disappointed in the way it was landed here in this finale. It just didn't satisfy me personally. Uh, The battle with Volthmir just kind of dragged on. I found myself zoning out during it. The character decisions just felt forced. And and the conclusion felt a little unearned and silly to me. Yeah, I've been trying to stay so positive. <laughs> I Yaskier, his role in this episode was one thing that I utterly truly hated. Like just <laughs> yeah. but, but I'm also yeah. projecting that onto other media that does that as well. That just right. the, the jokey right. joke in the middle of like serious fighting. So that would be the one thing that truly I just could not uh, abide. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. 
I'm actually a big MCU fan. I love all of those movies, but I totally understand how it's starting to uh, permeate other pop culture as well. This like quipification of other media just because the MCU does it so well. I love those too. Please don't email me. (laughs) I love them. They're great. They're amazing. Willaboo, podcast or podcast, lesser, greater, middling, they're all the same. But we've completed our contract and it's time to collect our reward. So please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, as well as Spotify, and check out the other shows on the Lore Party Podcast Network on loreparty.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at lore underscore party. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you on the path. But it just goes back to her traumatic childhood, and then she had a struggle for everything, and then she had a struggle when she got to Eratuza. Eratuza, like I'm from fucking <laughs> South Philly. <laughs> Eratuza. I go from Eratuza here. <laughs> and she struggled when she got... <laughs> yeah, Eratuza, hey, oh, the Sopranos here. Johnny, Johnny Boy Soprano at Eratuza. Oh, I'm going to have to definitely make something about, joke about... Oh, South God. or North Jersey Eratuza. <laughs> okay. Eratuza. Where the hell was I? All right. <laughs> Yen's past. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't remember where I was. Yen always had this chip on her shoulder. <laughs>